This episode contains spoilers for Deadpool 2. Listen on at your own risk. My name is Jason. And this is Matt. And you're listening to Pop Culture Mass. Let us pray. (laughs) No, but seriously. (laughs) So uh, today we're talking Deadpool 2. Deadpool 2 was recently released in theaters, and um, I was pretty excited about that. You were pretty excited about that? or Yeah, I mean, I love the first film. Um, It's not your typical comic book film. It's... It's it's definitely much more of a comedy, an action comedy in the vein of Die Hard than something like a regular comic book movie. So, you know, you kind of worry about stuff like that because when you try to do the same thing again and, you know, with a comedy sequel, it generally doesn't work very well. Look to great, funny films that uh, comedy films that had sequels that didn't work like Ghostbusters 2 or mm-hmm. the the Hangover sequels another 48 hours which is a horrendously bad film but then you can look at something like Beverly Hills Cop 2 which was actually pretty decent Beverly Hills Cop 3 not so much uh the second Die Hard film is okay I, you know I I, I kind of had muted expectations to be honest and came out of the film more than pleasantly surprised. I think it's just as good as the first one was. I have to agree. I think it's just as good as the first one was. I'm right there with you on that. Vanessa dies at the beginning. What did you think about that? Well, (laughs) let's rip right into those spoilers. Yeah, her getting shot in the heart at the very beginning of the film, uh, I kind of saw coming. I mean, they they set it up within the first couple of minutes, and and, uh, you think, all right, this is not cool. These guys are attacking Deadpool at his home. Uh, She's about to eat a bullet since we know Deadpool can't die. It's no big deal when he gets shot. So um, the person who's going to get shot in the scene has to be the girlfriend that has to be part of the the motivation for Deadpool's character throughout the rest of the film. So I did kind of see it coming, you know, I was a little upset she got popped, but I also figured, you know, it's a Deadpool movie. You can't really take these deaths super seriously because this is all a very comedic tongue in cheek experience. So, and I think it worked for the film, like having her uh, as with the first film, having her being kind of Deadpool's uh, driver throughout the film. At the end of the day, I mean, it is it is kind of a, a trope, right? It's definitely a comic book trope to have a loved one die in uh, in often violent means. You think of Bruce Wayne's parents or Uncle Ben, uh, Gwen Stacy. You know, it's it's that trope where a loved one dies and it propels the hero to do the right thing moving forward. Yeah, it's called fridging. Apparently, I I heard of this for the very first time. No, it's not called fridging. What is it? Fridging is very specific. Fridging is kind of like one of those social justice warrior kind of ideas where it's a very specific way in which, you know, a woman is killed, like a girlfriend or a wife is killed to, to motivate, to motivate the male comic character. Yeah. But in this case, isn't that kind of, I mean, Deadpool's a male character and his girlfriend, fiance person gets killed and it provides the motivation for the film. I mean, I didn't know what fridging was despite it being around for a little while as a term. I didn't know what it was until I started reading about Deadpool too. Well, I mean, that's the thing about fridging, right? It all falls apart when you realize that this sort of thing has been happening throughout comic book history. It's not, it doesn't just happen to the girlfriends and it doesn't just happen to the wives. It happens all over comic books. That's why I said it's a trope. It happens 
in like every comic book character has seemingly a, a, a parent or a, a loved one or, you know, a girlfriend, a boyfriend who dies to help propel them to do the right thing. Right. Yeah. You know, was Steve Trevor fridged in wonder woman? I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. This is one of those things where ideology slips into something, you know, that's supposed to be fun and, and winds up ruining it. And also doesn't hold up under close scrutiny when, when apply, you know, when logic and reason are applied. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things. It's just a trope. It happens. And I think, I think in this movie, they actually did it fairly well. It's, it sucks if Vanessa died, but as we, you know, as we see at the end of the movie, it doesn't matter that she died because he brought her back to life anyways. <laughs> Honestly, like uh, with these Deadpool films too, I, I could even see her, they explain at the end, he, he does use the tri- time travel device to bring her back. But even if he hadn't, if they hadn't included that scene and she just pops up in the third one out of nowhere I, with the Deadpool films, creatively speaking, I think they have a lot of leeway since they're so meta and he breaks the fourth wall so much that they can kind of get away with shit that I maybe wouldn't have appreciated out of like, say the Avengers. If one of my favorite Avengers heroes had been ground into green goo by helicopter blades, I might've been a bit upset, but when it happens to Shatterstar, I'm like clapping. I, it was, it was great. So I, they get away with some stuff that I think maybe the other movies don't. Yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, it's also rated R. So there's a lot that they that they get away with that the other ones can't because that's just the that's just what they're allowed to do. <laughs> yeah, thinking about Shatterstar getting or or, uh, or or Brad Pitt's two second cameo is the Vanisher. That is a literal blink and you'll miss it cameo. Also with the X-Men and the X-Mansion talking about the blink and you'll miss it. Like I really can't wait for the, for the Blu-ray to come out so I can pause it and see who was actually there. Like I saw uh, James McAvoy's Professor X and of course Beast is the one who closed the door and I saw Quicksilver, but I also heard that Jean Grey and Cyclops were in the room too, but I didn't see them. So it's one of the things where it's like, it's like, damn, uh, go back. I wanted to see who everybody, everybody was. It looks like they aged up Quicksilver and Beast a little bit to try to make it fit more in a line but i don't i don't know if they actually did or not it doesn't matter the timeline and the time the the timeline in the x-men movies is so fucked anyway which 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 made the uh which made the and the uh the after credit scenes more hilarious because he's just going through and fixing the timeline yeah i like that i like the deadpool's the one that fixes the timelines too but um i i kind of agree i didn't it didn't perturb me that they had the days of future past cast or the the um x-men apocalypse cast even though this film is uh, supposedly taking place some 30 odd years later, it didn't bother me at all. It didn't, it didn't perturb me because of the way the timelines are. And the fact that Deadpool is kind of aware that these are a series of films in the first one, he says, McAvoy or Stewart, these timelines are so confusing. So there's already the acknowledgement that all of this is, is kind of muddled anyway. And it's, it's okay. It's, it's all, it's all in good fun. And as long as it serves that, that tone and and creates that good comedy, it's good. We, we, we forgive it, or at least I do. Right. So did it feel like more of the same from Deadpool one just turned up or was there like new stuff that they brought to the table? You think? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, again, that's, that's the thing with, with a comedy sequel, the the thing that you run into is is unlike action movies a joke is very fleeting you know it's it's funny the first time because it surprises you and the yeah the the, the humor comes from the surprise it comes from the punchline and 
you know, so watching Deadpool do a lot of the same things, but in different ways is funny. Um, watching him try to take care of this kid or, you know, reach out to this kid was, you know, at times a little, you know, affecting. And the movie, the movie was able to maintain its humor. I think mainly because of who Deadpool is. So the fact that Deadpool is allowed to talk to the audience, the fact that he's allowed to break the fourth wall, I think is what'll keep, the humor part of the character viable and let him be funny as it moves on. Cause he can just comment on anything he wants. Yeah. And that helps stay relevant. It's, it's not like in a Shrek film where it's like pop culture humor that's old and dated within three years of the movie coming out. And you, you go back and watch like the first couple of Shrek movies and you're like, Oh yeah, that was a thing I remembered from 2002. That was funny. Yeah. You know, it's more along the lines of it's like, Hey, you know, he's not, he's talking about things like, you know, pun not intended the zeitgeist and he can talk and he kind of can talk a little bit about what's going on so he makes jokes about the dceu he makes he makes a joke mm-hmm. about the actor playing cable um also was in the goonies and and is thanos in the mcu God. so it's yeah. like it's funny in that way with the dc the the, the dc gags the, there were multiple of those with the uh references to the mcu it rewards the viewer, I think, for having paid careful attention to those other films and for having watched this entire cinematic milieu. I mean, it's not even part of the same universe, but he has this knowledge that you're going to see Deadpool too. So you've probably seen the MCU films. You've probably seen the DC films. And there's a a little bit of a reward there versus, like you said, that they were making kind of topical 2017 jokes because that's when they filmed the, the majority of the film. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and it kind of keeps you guessing, too. Yeah. I had no idea where they were going with the movie for, at times, which I think is great, which is what you want. Yeah. Part of the problem with superhero films is they get very formulaic, and you know exactly where they're going to go. And I really didn't know where this one was going. I, it kind of just allowed me to go along for the ride and see where Ryan Reynolds uh, and the crazy uh, director who killed the puppy and John Wick was going to take us. So <laughs> I, I thought the intro sequence, um, you, you brought that up for me because they did this with the first Deadpool where the intro credits as they zoomed out from that still image uh, were, were humorous. They weren't serious right. credits. It was, you know, written by the real heroes here. And, and the way they nodded towards that in Deadpool too, they said written by, did these guys really just kill the girl or whatever? And it's, <laughs> right. they were referencing that scene just a moment earlier and it was on top of the fact that it was a james bond it was an obvious james bond riff yes loved it loved it literally the best james bond opening i've seen maybe in years i mean definitely better yeah. definitely since skyfall <laughs> i mean i thought skyfall i think yeah. skyfall was was maybe the best of all the james bond opening riffs and that's mainly because adele is awesome but yeah agreed I, and, I, and i had no idea that's where they're going with it though even though i should i should have figured it out when they released the the Celine Dion Deadpool two music video. I just thought it was kind of a, I just thought it was kind of a goof, but then to actually have her sing the Deadpool two theme song over the credits was just, I mean, it was genius. It was genius. I have to agree. It was genius. I was like clapping during that. I was, we took my 
14-year-old niece to go see this movie. I can't believe we took our 14-year-old niece to go see a rated R movie, but I'm elbowing my niece. I'm like, it's Jay, it's a James Bond riff. It's a James Bond riff. Like they're totally making fun of James Bond. And she's like, dude, shut up. Like, yeah, okay. I'm trying to watch the movie, man. Just <laughs> all right, old man, shut up. And but I, I loved it. it. It got me so pumped up at the very beginning of the film. It made me immediately forgive them for killing off Vanessa. And and I just loved that intro scene. Like you with the Celine Dion thing. I thought, okay, that's a gag. You know, they, they've got more budget this time. So, okay, they're going to pay Celine Dion to do a song and that'll be part of the marketing. Maybe it'll find its way to the soundtrack. But I had no idea that it would take such a prominent place at the very beginning of the film and that they would use it to tell this really awesome joke. And like you said, it's it's like the Deadpool 2 has the best James Bond intro in many years. Right. And again, just another example of, I just, they just kept me guessing the whole time, had no idea where it was going. Obviously it has to be similar enough to the first one to continue to be enjoyable. It has to bring the same things you expect, the humor, you expect the violence. And, but then it also should be somewhat new to make sure that it remains funny. You don't want to retell and rehash the same jokes. They're not as funny the second time. So I think we were appreciating that Deadpool 2 brought some new stuff to the table. It did some new things. It definitely stayed relevant comedically, but then it also brought enough of the the stuff that we expect so that I think as an audience, we were pretty pleased with the result. Right. I actually enjoyed the addition of the, uh, of the, extra mutant characters, some more mutant characters, okay. like, um, even the ones that stuck around, like, um, like Domino cable and Domino. Right. Yeah. I thought they did pretty well with Domino. I was kind of worried that, you know, that's when they were arguing, like, that's not a superpower. I was, I was kind of thinking like Deadpool sort of saying what I was thinking leading up to that film. Like, how are you going to do right. that? Like, is that a believable superpower? But they pulled it off pretty well. Like she, they go over that, that, on ramp or whatever the the bypass they go over this thing and they're going off the off the road and she like lands in this huge inflatable stuffed and she just looks cool as cucumber the whole way down she's not even worried right i mean she knows she's gonna land on something soft and she just walks out like "Eh, no big deal no sweat you know that's the thing with uh with with luck i mean you could literally jump off a building and and you're gonna live so I kind of understand why Deadpool would be like, ah, that's not a superpower, but I also understand very much why it is. Yeah. It's weird. It's like, I wonder if in the comic books, it's actually a little bit, and that's something I'd have to actually do a little bit of research on, but I wonder if it's kind of like how, uh, the Scarlet Witch's powers work where her, her powers in the comics are more about, uh, changing reality or manipulating reality. Um, so I wonder if that's kind of how like, yeah. like Domino's powers work. That'd be something to think about, but yeah, Zessie beats was, I mean, that, she was great, uh, playing off, playing off of Ryan Reynolds. I thought, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a little bit of what Negasonic teenage warhead was in the first film, but a little softer, you know, she's just, you know, not yeah. taking a shit and doing it with a smile. So I thought that was kind of funny. So, you know, speaking of uh Negasonic teenage warhead, what did you think about her and, and Yukio, which, you know, we've already seen Yukio in an X-Men film. She was in the Wolf- she was in the Wolverine. Yeah, same thing with Juggernaut. We've seen Juggernaut in X-Men Last Stand. Yeah, but X-Men the Last Stand was erased from existence. So, yeah, I mean, did you like this version of the Juggernaut? Like I definitely like it better than I mean, it's like apologies to Vinnie Jones. That version of the Juggernaut sucked. It did. Yeah. But I- I'm not I'm not necessarily happy with this version either. I thought it was a pretty shitty CGI job to be honest. I thought you know, a lot of people bitched about Steppenwolf and Justice League, and I think it was just as bad a CGI job as Steppenwolf was in Justice League. So 
uh, didn't really work for me. Um, definitely would have, definitely would have, uh, wanted, you know, maybe somebody huge, you know, in, or just, you know, kind of like what they did with Vinnie Jones. They put him into like a latex muscle suit or something, but I don't know. just didn't work. Yeah. I, I, I definitely liked it better than Vinnie Jones. Um, this is a better, a superior representation of juggernaut on screen, but, um, I, I don't know that I have the same degree of complaint that you do. I, I still haven't seen Justice League, so I've got no basis for comparison with Steppenwolf. But um, I, I enjoyed the Juggernaut. I, I see what you mean about the the CG not being not being perfect on him. I, I'm okay with the continuity issues with Yukio and Juggernaut having appeared in other films and then uh, being portrayed as different characters or by CG and, and it being completely different in Deadpool 2. Because again, it's like one of these things where the, the timelines are already kind of fucked and, you know, I'm all right with them bringing in characters as need be and if it serves the comedy, which which it does. Uh, and I thought the juggernaut was, was pretty funny and it made for a good, uh, fight scene with Colossus, which was, which was fun to watch too. Cause you know, he got to have his fight scene at the end of Deadpool one with, um, less angry Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I thought juggernaut was okay. I'm glad he wasn't in more of the film. They kind of reserved it for an end, uh, the, for the end, which was for the best in my opinion. Right. And, and the thing is, is like, I think they actually did a really great job with Colossus. So I don't understand why Juggernaut looked like, uh, you know, circa 1998 shitty CGI job. Yeah. I, I don't know if maybe it's because Colossus is I, the entire film. Colossus never transforms back to his human form. He's always metal. So it may just be that right. when you're trying to emulate the texture of a real human skin, that maybe it's a little easier to do a guy who's basically made out of metal than a dude with like real human arms and musculature and stuff. I honestly expected TJ Miller to be in the film a little bit more uh, considering, you know, what he, what he did in the first film. I know there's been some accusations against him in all of this uh, me too and mm. never again and all of these different movements. And it almost feels like he was in the movie or sh- it almost feels like they shot stuff for him to be in the movie yeah. to do, yeah. but like that, that he was cut out of. Did, yeah. you, did you get that feeling as we were watching? I got that feeling. And in fact, I found myself wondering while watching, I was like, Oh, okay. They brought TJ Miller back despite, uh, him having been in a little bit of trouble lately. And um, even while I was researching for this episode, I read online that there was some demand at the early part of this year to uh, remove him and replace him almost the way Christopher Plummer replaced Kevin Spacey. Right. So there was some demand like, hey, let's get him out of here. And uh, I think somebody over at Fox said, no, we're in our final phases of editing. It's really too late to remove him. But even in that final phase of editing, they can certainly cut his scenes down. So I would not be at all surprised if there were some scenes that were trimmed or left out altogether simply because uh, they're they're thinking, well, he's not going to be extremely popular at the time we release this film. So maybe we want to downplay that character a bit. Uh, so I agree with you. I think that maybe there's some stuff that was shot that we didn't get to see. Right. Because he was only in about like four or five scenes that I remember. I, there's I, there's there's a little bit of me that thinks that T.J. Miller w- was supposed to be a much bigger part of this film, and the only way they could see to get around it was just to cut him out of of, of yeah. as much as possible. I think so, and I, it also sounds like T.J. Miller is not going to be back for the sequels. The, I think the next one they're working on, according to the internet, is uh, an X Force film right. that will contain Deadpool, and it will probably be R rated and kind of along the same. It'll it'll operate within the same universe as. Deadpool one and two. And I did hear that TJ Miller would not be back for that film. So they, they might, this might've been the last 
uh, TJ Miller in an X-Men franchise film. And what did you think of the proto X-Force in the movie? I mean, as far as some of the mutants, and I know you like saying, you said you like seeing some of these other mutants, but I think we were kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel with some of these. Yeah. And I, to, yeah. to me, I think it's like, I'm kind of angry about, especially Terry Crews, who is hilarious in everything that he does. And he dies in like five minutes. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I get it. That's part of the joke. Yeah. You know, Shatterstar dies and that's fine. Cause Shatterstar is an asshole and the vanisher dies and it's Brad Pitt for two seconds. And that's a hilarious cameo. Yeah. But I mean, Terry Crews is awesome. I mean, maybe they just, maybe he couldn't film it. You know, maybe he couldn't be in, in the film more than he was because of his, Brooklyn yeah. Nine Nine commitments, but everything, everything Terry Crews is in, he makes it better. I agree. I was kind of mad about that. That was one of the, that was one of those things where I was like, no, they're not going to kill Terry Crews. Oh, that fuck, they just killed Terry Crews. Yeah, I mean, and he was the first one to go too. So I thought, okay, well, you know, he just hit a boss. He's a superhero. I mean, may, maybe that's right. just going to stun him, kind of phase him a little bit, and they'll make a joke about it. But then the other ones perished, and you're like, oh god, they just killed the whole team off. And so on the one hand. It was a really wonderful subversion of your expectations. It created some really great comedy when these guys, you know, he spends this this period of the film trying to build up this team that immediately gets just wiped out due to just gross incompetence. <laughs> and so it's really it's really very rewarding because you're like, oh my God, that's hilarious. They all just they all just died. But then it also is a little disappointing because I do like Terry Crews as well. So right. I mean, it's like, you know, they say in comic books and comic book movies, not every, everybody's not dead and you, anybody can be brought back at any time. But I think for the, for the, for the most part, these guys are dead. And speaking of dead, like, what do you think was the best, (laughs) the best of the X-Force death scenes? I mean, it has to be, it has to be Zeitgeist going into the wood chipper full Fargo. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that was pretty great going into it. And he vomits on Peter and he he just, he just pukes the dude's arm off. He just, his his like super acid bile or whatever, just chews (laughs) Peter's arm right off. And then he gets sucked into the wood chipper and it's really hilarious. And also uh, it's tough because I really, I liked Shatterstar hitting the helicopter as well because it's like green goo because he's some kind of alien or some shit. Right. And like hair, right? Because he's got long hair. So it's like green goo and hair all over this helicopter windshield. Right. And then um, Deadpool getting torn in half by the juggernaut was definitely something awesome to see. That's for sure. I mean, that's that's one of those things that, you know, I'm sure can happen in the comics, but you never thought in a million years you'd ever see in a comic book movie. Because, again, most comic book movies are rated PG-13 and largely bloodless affairs. So when you see the juggernaut actually do what somebody of his size and strength would likely do to somebody in their way. It's just, it's just glorious. It's hilarious. I, I do love him announcing. I'm going to rip you in half now. <laughs> he just pulls him apart. And then that gives us the next scene, which is the most hilarious, you know, the baby legs, baby penis scene, which is just wrong. Yeah, the, like the basic instinct with a baby penis. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> yeah. He does the Sharon Stone cross the leg legs cross. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I know the film is, it's gratuitously violent, but I almost would take away the gratuitous part because they do create good comedy out of it. I mean, they didn't rip Deadpool in half just to rip Deadpool in half. It was a, a setup for that, that scene, the, the baby genitals, basic instinct scene. It was, right. it was a really, really good payoff. So the, the hyper violence really does work, I think in, in their favor because it really does create much of the laughter for the film. 
And it does. And I think one of the things that, that Deadpool has done better than any of these types of movies is it, it, there never does seem to be a wasted joke. Everything that is set up eventually pays off in a way that's funny. And that doesn't always happen that way. At the end of the day, this, this movie just was a constant delight. And I can't really think of a better word to say when I'm describing it. It was just, it was delightful. It was delightful. I laughed and I want to go, I want to, I want to go see it again. And it's definitely going to be one of those movies that I revisit often. Yeah. You know, I think the reason why, um, even people like my, my in-laws love Deadpool is because even though it's hyper violent and it's extremely profane and there's a lot of inappropriate, uh, humor and, and sex stuff thrown in that maybe they wouldn't normally, they wouldn't ordinarily like, but the, the fact is that Deadpool, despite being all of those, the, those things is still a very, uh, heartfelt film. I mean, it's, there's still like kind of a genuine thread of right. like an emotional right. core to the film as silly as it can be like the, the end scene where he's in his version of heaven or whatever. And it's playing that take on me acoustic, um, from NP, MTV unplugged years ago. And I, I was actually like, wow, this is kind of getting me a little bit. Like it works even in a film as violent and silly as Deadpool two was that there's still that thread that, that, um, makes the characters lovable. And, and, and that's the thing he even says at the beginning and the end of the film that this is a family movie. Just like he described the first one as a, a love story. This is a romance film. This is a love story. And then the second one is a family film. Right. It really is kind of true. Right. And and that's the thing with this type of character, right? He's He comes off as a loner, but he's really not. He needs Vanessa he co- and he needs these other people in his life, Blind Al and, and Weasel and and now Domino and Cable. So it's, you know, it's, it's interesting how they're able to, at the same time, make fun of all of these different things and all of these different tropes and comic book, you know, comic books and comic book films, how, you know, these characters, they're all, you know, these disparate characters who come together and and make motley families out of each other and, and, you know, grow to become friends and, and brothers and sisters and lovers and all these different things. And, and Deadpool is able to kind of make fun of it. But at the same time, like you said, it, it kind of also embraces it in a way that, it can kind of hit you a little bit. And I do agree. I do agree. Like it got a little dusty in the theater yeah. at the end where, where he dies and he's, and he's with Vanessa. Finally, it's, yeah. it was a sweet ending. And you know what? I, if, it, if the movie ended there, I would have been like, well, fuck didn't end it how I thought it was going to end, but I'm very happy. And I would have been, I would have been happy yeah. for it to end there. And then that's it. I would have been satisfied with that too. We would have been robbed of some really good, post-credit scenes of, of Deadpool creating some mayhem with the time travel device, but um, <laughs> right. it really was kind of a sweet, it was kind of a sweet ending for the films that really are very hard to describe as sweet. They, they still have their sweet moments and uh, I really appreciate that. But how about those end credit scenes? Those may have been some of the best end credit scenes in any superhero film. That's a superhero trope now, thanks to the MCU. You, you have to include a post-credit scene. As far as those mid-credit scenes go, what was your favorite one? Oh man, um, I, I think maybe my favorite one is the is Deadpool killing the other Deadpool from X Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> I think having Hugh Jackman in there. I'm, I think that was reused footage, though, right? I don't think that was novel footage of Hugh Jackman. I think they 
didn't they they kind of reuse yeah. and kind of re repurpose some of the But it's like I read I read in an interview Ryan Reynolds gave they actually did have to ask Hugh Jackman for permission because he was a producer yeah. on X-Men Origins Wolverine so it's funny that uh that 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 they had to ask him and then that he gave them permission so I think that's great but for me personally my favorite one my favorite of the mid credit scenes is the one where he kills Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. I thought you'd say that. I mean, and I, I don't know if I've said this before on the, on one of our podcasts, but green lantern is my favorite superhero and has been since I was a kid. Like I've always loved, wow. always loved green lantern, wow. which made that movie so disappointing. Yeah. It has to make it doubly disappointing. That's what makes Deadpool great is that, you know, Ryan Reynolds, comes in and he understands unlike green lantern which it didn't seem he understood at all he comes in and understands the tone and he understands who deadpool is as a character and he fights and he fights for like 10 years to get this movie made yeah so he may have been he may have been miscast in something like green lantern he he may not have been the right guy to be hal jordan but he certainly was the right guy for Deadpool, it seems. It's not just that he was the right guy. It's just that he understood. And he and I think here's the thing. It, the audiences are willing to go where you want to lead them if you are confident where you're going. You know, if you're yeah. confident that you know where you're going. In the clear direction. In the clear direction. It's like Ryan Reynolds having the confidence to know who Deadpool is and that audiences would respond to them is the reason why audiences responded to him. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I think as well to veer things back to Deadpool and away from DC, even though Ryan Reynolds does kind of invite us to make these comparisons by, by bringing it up within Deadpool several times. Like when he was accusing cable of being from the DC universe, he's so dark, you know, he's like, are you sure you're not from the DC universe? And he makes several of these jokes. The contrast works well, I think, within the Deadpool films to, to, to see that contrast. But then I think when he, when he does kill Ryan Reynolds off at the very end, right before he makes green lantern, um, it, it almost seems like he is working and I wouldn't mind seeing them get away from the X-Men origins and green lantern jokes, just because it seems almost like they're bordering on the edge of apologetics for that stuff. Like Ryan Reynolds wants to say like, Hey, I'm sorry. I made these movies. They were <laughs> shitty. I know they were right. shitty, but, but these ones are, I'm, I'm making up for them now in Deadpool and Deadpool too. So right. yeah, I'm just trying to think like in, in, the, in, in the movie, in Deadpool, you know, kind of, kind of the different twists and turns and the, and the journey it took us on, like, was, was there anything that you would have done differently in the film? It's hard to imagine the film in any other way, like with any reassembly of the pieces, I probably wouldn't have killed off the entirety of X-Force, but it works better that they did, right? I mean, it, it's much better that they did kill off X-Force. I just didn't see it coming um, when they're spending all this time putting the team together just to just to whack them out. So I'm not sure that I would have thought of the same stuff if I was tasked with writing the film, but, uh, but it, it worked. So I'm not sure that I would rearrange any of the, any of the elements, um, of the movie. Cause it, it really did work out pretty well for my part. I think, uh, yeah, I think I definitely wouldn't have killed. I wouldn't have killed Bedlam. I wouldn't have killed Terry Crews. Okay. That's only, that's only because I love Terry Crews and Terry Crews makes everything better. So uh, let Terry Crews live. Yeah. I mean, they were performing CPR on him at one point. I mean, I think he's dead, but I mean, he wasn't completely obliterated like the others. Like he wasn't electrocuted. He wasn't 
chopped up in a wood chipper helicopter blade. So, um, you know, blunt force trauma, I think he's got a better chance of surviving than the others, uh, but they don't show him, they don't show him surviving in the way they show Peter, uh, surviving. So it's really, you know, to me, it's very interesting to consider where they might go. Speaking of which, with the sequels, there's the X-Force. I'm sure they'll make a Deadpool 3 at some point, too, after X-Force, kind of the way they went back to Iron Man 3 after the Avengers. I'm, I'm particularly interested in what might happen after any potential Marvel mergers. I know that the CEO of Disney, Bob Iger, was quoted as saying that they would certainly incorporate Deadpool into the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe and that they would even continue to make R-rated Deadpool films uh, as part of that universe, which I think is very interesting. I, I, I did not anticipate them making any R-rated Marvel Universe films. I really don't see them going that way, but according to Disney CEO, they they would continue with the property more or less as we've seen it. So uh, I don't I don't know what the future holds for Deadpool, but it could be interesting. You know, I know this is going to upset a lot of people, um, or I know this would upset a lot of people if we had a lot of people who listen to this podcast, which I don't know if we do or not. <laughs> but I actually hope millions. Yeah, I actually hope that Comcast buys Fox instead. I don't want Disney to buy Fox. And, uh, and there are many different reasons for that. Um, that goes into a lot of things. But what about X-Men? That, yeah, that has, a, that has a lot of things to do with everything that's not X-Men related. I mean, it would be kind of cool to see the X-Men and the Avengers in the same film. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually okay that it's not. I actually think the direction that they're going with the X-Men now is better than it was, you know, five or six years ago. I think this, this, the, the first class films with uh, James McAvoy and, and, uh, and those guys, I actually, actually, you know, X, X-Men apocalypse wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't no. like an It wasn't like X-Men, X-Men last stand or it was no last stand or origins Wolverine. I mean, some of the other stuff I hear about Gambit actually makes me think that it might be a bad direction, but I, you know, there, yeah, there's a lot of different reasons why I want Comcast to buy Fox. Um, a lot of it has to do with, uh, the regional baseball, uh, the regional sports networks, um, that carry a lot of baseball. Like, I don't want, I don't want those things. I don't want those to become part of ESPN. I see. And I actually think it's bad. I actually think it's bad. It's bad for the consumer to have one company own so much of a certain type of, uh, vert- vertical and in this case the vertical would be entertainment yeah. and to have disney own all of these entertainment options is bad for everyone so i agree i mean i think the x-men franchise has been far more rocky than the avengers related franchises um the x-men films have been kind of up and down for me like i really love the first two the 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 x-men two and um first class were were incredible but then the other efforts were kind of more meh um there's some good wolverine out there and there's some bad wolverine out there and so part of me would love to see the the x-men um franchises rebooted almost how the spider-man franchise was rebooted or at least soft rebooted by uh by marvel but see if you if you do that if you reboot it then you have to reboot deadpool too and that's what i really really don't want it's like i i kind of think they're in a groove right now yeah deadpool's for sure yeah i mean the fact that tom rothman is no longer running fox has a lot to do with it um i so i think you know i'm I'm happy with things as they are and i'd rather have it be the way it is now than if disney grabs a hold of it and i think again like to me it's 
I mean, it gets into a lot of stuff. It gets into like antitrust laws yeah. and it's almost, it's anti-American. It's, 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 un, it's un-American to, to, to have that kind of a monopoly in place. Yeah. I hadn't thought about the, um, the, the legal implications of a monopoly. I did think about the creative implications and that, I mean, how long do you think we're going to wait until we see Wolverine on the screen again? That's a pretty valuable property and he's dead right now, but they've, they've got to be thinking of a way to, well, he's not dead. He's not dead, right? Because, th- I mean, think about it. I mean, he's still alive. Um, Logan is in the future, but also Logan could also very easily be retconned as an alternate future. That doesn't have to happen that way. So it's That's kind of what I'm saying as well is that this character, they, they killed him off and they're, they've sold it as Hugh Jackman's last appearance. But how long before they say, okay, well, we, we got to dust Wolverine off somehow. And even if we get a new guy to play him, that's fine. But we have to retcon something or, or we got to bring him back somehow, right? Well, I, mean, I mean, you have to. I mean, he, think about it this way, right? Wolverine is basically immortal. Hugh Jackman is approaching 50, if not already 50 years old. He's in great shape and looks better than me at 50 than I do at 37. Granted. But at the end of the day, he can't play Wolverine forever. So it's one of those things where it's you're always going to have to reboot Wolverine. You always or not reboot. It could be the same Wolverine, just a different actor. It can just be like recast. You know, yeah. just recast, just like with James Bond. If James, if Sean Connery can get recast, anybody can get recast. So at the end of the day, yeah. you find a great actor who can step into the shoes and play the part. Like and you know somebody like. Ryan Gosling would be great. I mean, number one, he's he's shorter, so he's closer to Wolverine's re- yeah. real height. Yeah. Two, yeah. two, he's actually Canadian, uh, so that's 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 a boost. Even though he sounds like he, oh, he's a solid actor. I mean, solid actor. He's a great actor. He's actually Canadian, even yeah. though he sounds like he's from Brooklyn, which is weird. I think this maybe gets us into a larger, broader conversation of like, well, where do these film franchises go when they endure more than like a 10 year cycle? I mean, Marvel is kind of unprecedented in how long it's been able to endure without the type of things that might derail a film franchise, like recastings and other things that that might diminish an audience's excitement for, for a film franchise. They've done a little bit of recasting with the Mark Ruffalo and stuff like that. But um, how long do we go? I mean, like we're worried that, um, that the, the casting situation with Captain America means that Steve Rogers is going to die in the next Avengers film. But even if he does, how long do we go in real time without Steve Rogers reappearing on the screen? Probably not portrayed by Chris Evans, but I think the same can be said of of all of these comic book here. This is why nobody stays dead in comic books, right? Because they like selling comic books as much as they like killing off Wolverine to sell a comic book or to sell a Logan film. They still have to bring the guy back to sell comic books the next month or the next year, right? Right. So the same is true of films. If they're going to continue to make these superhero films, they've got to they've got to be able to get around killing off and 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 just the actors aging, like you said. I mean, these are portrayed by human beings in real time and. Who knows if they'll try to de-age him like they de-age Tony Stark? Well, I mean, you can't you can't do that for a whole movie. I mean, that's the thing. Right? No, it's good. It's no. good for a scene when you make Michael Douglas look twenty years younger. I mean, you can do that. That's not a problem for one scene, but you can't you can't pull that off for an entire movie. At the end of the day, you, look there. How many Batman's have there been? 
You know, how many, how many different, yeah. how many different Spider-Mans are we on at this point? It's like, you know what? The audience accepts that you recast and you reboot. So you're right. Every 10 years, you're going to have to, you probably will have to do something like this. Like the fact that Marvel has been able to make it 10 years and it looks like they're probably going to go another five without seriously considering getting rid of like somebody like Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Chasing that is insane to me. And like, so again, we kind of go back to what I think Fox does right with its properties is they aren't afraid to go back and try to do something different, like with the first class films, like with Deadpool. And this is again, where DC, where DC and Warner brothers fail so hard is like, they're trying, they're trying to mimic and they're trying to chase instead of trying to stand out on their own. Like there's so many different things Warner brothers could and should do with their, with their DC properties. This is what Fox and, and Marvel have kind of, that's where they've kind of stood apart is they have their own way of doing it and they stand separate. So merging them together, I think is a huge mistake, even though, yeah, it would be cool to see the X-Men and, uh, you know, fight, you know, fight alongside the Avengers and like so, against Galactus. Yeah. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Oh yeah. 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 And then, you know, they get their, all their Marvel gets all their properties back. So then, you know, that opens up things for them. But I think you did just make a very compelling point for why maybe having the X-Men over at Fox and be a little bit more experimental um, than, than maybe with Marvel. I don't think Deadpool would have gotten made over at Marvel. And it did get made over Fox. Oh, it, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have. I think Marvel is only willing to accept Deadpool now that it's proven to be a lucrative franchise with a lot of uh, creative opportunity. But yeah. I don't think it would have gotten made de novo over there. So I think yeah. um, maybe that is a good reason why Fox should retain the rights for some of these heroes because we will continue to see some good creative stuff. And I mean, for what it's worth, I think Deadpool and Deadpool 2, I've enjoyed as much as anything that uh, – the Marvel Cinematic Universe is produced. And like, look, I love, I love most of the Marvel films. There are some that I don't like, and there are some that I really like, and there's some that are just, you know, they're, they're just good popcorn movies. And they're kind of like, you know, they're in one ear and out the other. And you forget them after you get, after you leave the theater and, and that's okay. Like the Marvel films have found a formula and it works. I don't want to see that happen to all of the, all of the different Marvel heroes though. Like I, like again, that's why I like Fox having their, the heroes they have. I just, there is one, I would, I would preferred Marvel to have the fantastic four. Um, I think if Brad bird were to ever make a superhero movie, it would be the fantastic four because he's basically already done it already with the Incredibles. And I just think the fantastic four at Fox is a waste. They don't know how to, they don't know what to do with it. They failed twice. I just, you know, Disney makes more money than God. They just should buy it back. Buy buy back. Yeah. You know, let Fox have the mutants because they're doing great with the mutants. Buy back the Fantastic Four and then find a way to incorporate the Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer, and Galactus into the MCU so that can be like the next phase. Because they need they need yeah. they need more shit for the next phases. They already ruined Inhumans. Now they're talking about the Eternals, and the Eternals is kind of like 
you know, uh, the it's it's they're kind of it's kind of like they're the new god's light, and it's just they're not that interesting to me. I'm sure they'll find a way to make yeah. them interesting, but I don't think Thanos was very interesting to me until uh, the last several years of Marvel films. I think when I was a Marvel reader in the '90s, I just I really give a shit about Thanos too much, and then uh, with these recent films, they've built him up enough that I'm I give a shit about Thanos now. I mean, I'm a fan, right? Well, I mean, look, and you can do anything when you're not. At the end of the day, they're not slavishly devoted to how these characters are portrayed in the comic books. They do their own things with them, and that's great. But again, Marvel has a formula. It works for them. I think the Fantastic Four would fit very well in Kevin Feige's formula for success over there because Fox, again, has no idea what to do with them. But Fox also has something good going on with the X-Men. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to Dark Phoenix, even though it's been uh, moved to next year. And I just, you know, it's one of those things where let them do that thing. Let Marvel do their thing. I don't want to see them together. And then for the love of God, somebody at DC and Warner Brothers, please find something that works for them. Because I really want to see a great, great Justice League movie. And I really would love to see something built off of the work that Zack Snyder did in Man of Steel, even though when Zack Snyder had a chance to build something off of it, he made Batman versus Superman, which sucked. So, yeah, I, I actually get I'm a little worried that the DC universe is not terribly far off from like another reboot altogether. If you were to put a letter grade on this, I think that I think we did letter grades before. Like, where would you? Yeah. Like, what would you what would you put on this one? Yeah, this one's an A, um, maybe a minus. Uh, this this one's like a 93, 94. Solid effort. Uh, very, very good. Yeah, I'm thinking more a minus like 90. Like, I think it's an A minus for me. I think a solid 90. You know, I think it's it's a good movie. It's like it's again, it's it's one that I'm going to watch over and over again. I'm sure. Yeah. And yeah, I can't wait to see what uh, Ryan Reynolds and crew have have next for us. I think, you know, they've been able to tap into something that we hadn't seen before, and I think uh, it's it's something that people are going to want to see more of moving forward. And hopefully, they don't screw it up. So <laughs> I think that's kind of yeah. I think that's kind of how we all feel. So yeah. Well, hell yeah, man. Uh, we're doing Saving Private Ryan for our next episode. We're going to reach back to what year did that come out? Was that 99? 1998, 20 years ago, man. Thank you for listening. As always, we appreciate it. I was Matt. And I was Jason. I am Jason. I am still Jason. <laughs> I still feel like Jason. Yeah, every, every, every now and again. Or maybe I'm Batman. You could be. I could be. All right, until next time, y'all. This was Pop Culture Mass. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the Bach.